When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 125, The Web Technologies of Yesteryear. No, The Web Technologies of 2020. Uh, I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week, first episode of 2021, we'll be diving into the tech that caught our eye, or even used some of it, in 2020. Now, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, please go check us out on that Patreon, leave a rating or a review on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. Now, Mike compiled this list, so Mike, please, sir, take it away. Okay, so it's uh, 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Matt. Um, Happy New let's Year. Hope, yeah, let's hope for a better 2021 than a 2020. Well, my but, uh, mm-hmm. my year already got off to a really good start with my vehicle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> I'll, I'll tell a real brief, real brief, almost like a pain point, but it's just a real brief funny story. Um, so... Uh, and this this little part isn't funny. So um, I have a relative which has that uh, Philips Lifeline. Uh, they pressed the button because they needed help, and th- no one was injured or anything. So don't worry. Uh, but they just they needed help, and it was pretty late at night. And so I was like, okay, I have to go over there and uh, just help them. And uh, the person just has mobility problems. I'm not going to get into it. But um, and so I was like, okay, I better get down there. But it was like three in the morning. Now I was still awake. That's why I picked up the phone call because I'm crazy. And I, I start, uh, you know, I get in the car and I drive out there. It's about, you know, whatever, however however many minutes away. It's a fair fair distance. And I'm I'm driving and it's winter here, Canada, of course. And the, the windshield's clear. And I go and I hit the windshield wiper button. And the uh, my car has two windshield wipers. A big one for me, the driver, and a small one for the other guy. And they both sort of like swipe the windshield, of course, in tandem. But they're like very specifically timed. And... I hit the button and it gets the big one goes, but the little one gets stuck. And that's happened before because like I must have missed a piece of ice, no big deal. So I'm, I'm still I'm still like in a lit area with streetlights. So I pull over and I like you know scrape I like lift up the wiper. Sure enough, a little bit of ice that I missed. Scrape that off, put the wiper back down, and I hit the button again. And this time the little one that got stuck goes, but the big one won't go. So I was like, oh maybe they're like out of sync and I have to like move them because like the one was like they they weren't sitting in their resting position so i like manually push them to the resting position click the button again and the genius that is whoever decided to design the little squirter things that clean my windshield um put them on the mass of the wipers like the metal thing that's like holding the blades um those things are all like the tubes are all like wrapped up in that and the big wiper broke, like it no longer goes. It just kind of like goes a little bit and stops. And the big one kept going and they started like trying to get out of, out of sync because one was going a little bit and one was going ham. And they started smacking each other and uh, completely like bashed all that, like squir- all the little sprayers all up. Um, I took a look at it this morning in the daylight. Looks like nothing of it was broken. Uh, but then, yeah, that was my first day, first night back from holidays. My first day back from work. My work day was... Uh, normal 
and uh, that was my night. So I don't know if that's an omen or something crazy or what, um, but that's, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully that's, <laughs> uh, that's the worst thing that happens in... 2021 but yeah what a way to start 2021 for you and uh but with this episode we're going to be looking at 2020 year in review a little bit we're going to talk about some technologies and then a little bit of a uh like retrospective on our year in html all the things so let, let, let's get right into it segment number one 2020 web year in review so first thing i'm going to start off with was view 3.0 um that came out this year i believe a few months ago even not that long ago and the big thing with it was the new ver new composition api which kind of changed the way you write view code so instead of writing it in separate lifecycle sections like mounted created all that you can write it all in one big created or one, one big section essentially putting those life cycles wherever you want inside there. So it removes a little bit of the rigid structure that Vue used to have and adds a little bit more flexibility similar to what maybe Svelte or uh, React has. So it kind of combines everything into each other. Well, So one thing, I was expecting myself to use this a little bit more this year and for the actual the transition from Vue 2.0 to Vue 3.0 to be really smooth in some of my projects. Like I had... Uh, some discussions with our CTO about, hey, like we don't want to be behind in any sort of technologies too far because of what happened with Angular back in the day where like if you got caught behind with Angular at any point, it was a nightmare to kind of go up two levels. So if like Vue 4.0 came out, it would be really difficult to upgrade from Vue 2. So you don't want to get stuck in that kind of cycle. But I wasn't able to migrate any of my projects seamlessly this year without putting in some effort. Um, that's still something on my docket for 2021 because I do want to be compliant with U3, but there are just a few things and we talked about them in our Vue 3.0 episode that I need to change the way I write Vue code and also change the way my team writes Vue code to be able to adapt to it. So that's been kind of a little bit of a more of a hassle than I thought it was going to be. I, so, I remember you talking mm -hmm. very highly in, uh, of Vue and I have a little bit of experience with you, although like you set up, basically you set up Vue and then I went in and installed it um, mm -hmm. just in the vanilla CSS. I can't remember what we were building. Um, it might have been the hat, the yeah, I think hat it was demo the, site. It, it might have been the hat demo site, but it was also um, no BS news for Reddit. Right. Yeah. So like you, you set it all up. So I didn't really mm -hmm. do much Vue programming, if you will. I just know how to make the page in Vue, if that makes sense. But um, basically... I just I know that you were hyped then because we were, it was new to us and I believe that was Vue 2.0 mm -hmm. and then there was an, we had an episode I believe on in in 2020 of uh, about Vue 3.0 yes and you being like super hyped and I mean the IT the IT ver person inside of me always says that or always thinks like oh we're about to do an upgrade this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> and it yeah. sounds like that's exactly what happened. It kind of, it, it, I don't know if it was a disaster because again, it, the only reason that I didn't upgrade was I literally didn't spend the time to do the migration that needs to be spent. Um, it's not crazy amounts. It's just definitely like one of those things where I need to take like a few days out of the week and just do it for my project. At least the project that we're going to be supporting in the future and stuff like that. So yes, it's exactly what you're saying essentially, Matt. Um, I thought it was going to be a much simpler maybe migration tool that you could run and it would like do it for you. Uh, but that definitely did not turn out to be the case. It's something a little bit more hands-on and a little bit more 
adaption needs to be you need to adapt to it a little bit more than I thought it would be and I would have liked it to be. That's not to say that I don't like Vue anymore or or I'm going to switch to something else. Um, It's possible, but I still really like Vue. I think my team likes Vue. Like Vue 2.0 does everything that we need. We technically, theoretically, like don't need much else, so we don't need to switch. But um, definitely for future proofing and the future of our plugins and stuff like that, we probably should, maybe even for security purposes and stuff like that, you should always kind of try to be at least somewhat ahead of the curve in that case so yes it was more of a pain but no i don't think it is one of those things where it's just not going to happen because of because of the trouble that it caused like i know a lot of people um this is a a little bit of a side topic but yarn i believe yarn 2.0 came out this year and yarn is another version of like npm or it's actually built on top of npm we talked about it a few episodes ago actually and everyone hated it like that was one of those things where like literally everyone tried it, switched back to Yarn 1.0 and never went back to Yarn 2.0 because they they changed some like very key things in it that makes it more difficult for you to maintain your code essentially. So it's not on that level of controversy, View 3.0. View 3.0 is just one of those things where it's like, maybe I'm going to wait like four or five months and then I'm going to switch to it. Well, Vue Vue three point and having not used it, talking as an outsider, but it sounds like it's that it's that traditional sort of age old upgrade uh, trope where mm-hmm. the the creators of Vue have a choice. They can either respect Vue two point religiously, which would effectively be holding back Vue three point Yes, or they can push three point forward, keeping in the same sort of mindset of programming in Vue from Vue 2.0 and ultimately coming out generally with a better product in 3.0 but creating by like alienating some systems or by alienating some or uh, antiquating some some systems in the upgrade you're obviously going to cause an upgrade headache but independently if you were a person that just was looking at Vue 3.0 the product having those things antiquated is going to end up being better. Yes. Like it's not held back. It's that, it's the, it's the, I mean, age old again, it's that age old thing where certain agencies, especially older agencies will force people to use internet Explorer. And I remember reading a post, I think it was on Reddit years ago, probably a year ago, actually not that long ago. Where somebody was saying, I'd been, we've finally cut support, I think it was for Internet Explorer 10 or something like that. And they had just started being able to use Internet Explorer 11. And they said, oh my god, like Flexbox. And they were really excited about Flexbox. And that is such a, a foreign, that's such a foreign uh, territory to me. Because it's just like, we don't care about Internet Explorer at all. And I can't even imagine trying to abide by that and we've had a taste of that where one client one time had to or or requested and we did do it that their website load fast on dial-up because this was going into a very remote area in some cases and so we had to make it like super slim down and we luckily we could use modern browsers (laughs) but i can't even imagine trying to use the actual web tech of yesteryear with no joke around it full-time 
Like, that's just crazy. And so these upgrades, whereas they may not be smooth, bringing it back to view two and three, those innovations are required in order to keep things fresh and actually, like, good and modern. Yeah. And I also appreciated the fact that with, with view, um, they did kind of appeal to the loyalists of view 2.0 and they, they made it so that it is backwards compatible with their uh the current structure so i can use either or in my project the current structure or the older structure they again they changed a few small things that i have to adapt to but on the majority of of what i have i can leave the code as is and then start kind of slowly migrating it to the new composition api that i was talking about the advantages being that again like you were saying matt the composition api is built to be a lot more performant um, it's built to be a lot more flexible and it's built for kind of the future of the web uh, so that's why you would want to switch to it, but there's no like, you know, switch to it right now. Otherwise we're not going to support it kind of thing. You can still use the older stuff and the new stuff at the same time, which is something that I really appreciate in an intermediary phase. I don't expect this to last for more than like one version. Like I, I can see view 4.0 in a year or two phasing that older structure out. But as long as they give me that intermediary where I can take a year or two to switch all my stuff to it, I'm okay with that. And that's sort of, as a final comment from me about this, like, that's sort of like the Windows upgrade path where, you know, Windows XP was around for a really long time. Windows Vista was around for a really long time, well beyond the new Windows coming out. Yep. Windows Vista was supported for a long time into 7. 7 was a supported for a long time into 10. And oftentimes there was more than one overlap. Uh, exactly. if I remember correctly, I think like when seven was around Vista and XP were supported for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So, or like, and before they were considered end of life. So, I mean, of course, you know, if you have some sort of huge web app and you don't have time to do the upgrade pain, then don't <laughs> obviously. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, so I, I appreciate that about it. I like view 3.0. I'm definitely Meaning, I'm, I'm going to use it more in uh, 2021. I pretty much didn't use it at all in 2020, which is something that I did not expect. Uh, so moving on here, Tailwind CSS. So this is something that I did start just using in 2020. I know it's been out for a little while longer than that, but I personally started using it in 2020, and I believe a new version of it came out also recently in 2020. So it's a big thing. Um, it's a CSS framework, kind of like Bootstrap, but a little bit, more CSS-y. I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but it's essentially writing CSS in line with the ability to kind of change those inline styles. And a lot of the inline styles that you write in Tailwind are very much strict to their CSS properties. So for instance, if you want flex like display to be Flexbox or Flex, you would just write Flex in the style tag of that component or of that div. And that's kind of how it goes along the along the way. And there's a lot of autocomplete stuff. It's something that I didn't think I would enjoy. And it's something that I didn't think I would use because I'm always kind of more of a purist in the sense that I like to write, you know, if it's CSS, I might as well just write it in the CSS tag of like a view or maybe write it inside of uh, a CSS file in like regular JavaScript, HTML, CSS kind of thing. But once I started doing it, it's kind of hard to go back because it's just so quick. Like you're writing, you're creating the entire component or the entire div in one line without having to go to a different file, without having to go to a different line, without having to see it. And then also coming back to, to one of my uh, 
a, a, like an older project using Tailwind, I can see exactly what that div kind of looks like just by reading what that div instead of going like, okay, this div has this class. Okay, let's go find that class. Okay, what does this class have? Okay, what other dependencies does it have? It takes away that extra step. And for me, I'm not much of a designer. I want everything to be done quickly, as quickly as possible in the HTML tags. I like it. That, I think that's why I like it. I don't know if you have a different reasoning, Matt. I know you don't. You didn't use it much in 2020. I know you used it a little bit, um, but I don't know what your thoughts on on that are. I think I think it's it's largely the same. It, it, it's what it what it really is is uh, for me is the troubleshooting. Like you're saying, is is nice. Um, but my favorite part about it is definitely when you start it when you get it started. So. Um, as you're going through like a website, you're just getting started and you're just like laying everything out in the HTML, you can basically do your CSS all without switching files. And then you don't have that constant switching. You don't have to keep remembering what class it is because eventually things do get complex. And then as you find things that are going to be repetitive, like if you're constantly using this type of, um, content box, if you're constantly using this type of spacer, if you're constantly using these type of repeatable elements that we can find oftentimes in blogs and other websites, then you can sort of wrap those in their own sort of custom class. I forget what Tailwind CSS calls them, but then you can you can then justify sort of like that repeatable tag. So then you're not just typing out all the different classes. Um, and for those who don't know Tailwind, you're literally typing out um, effectively the CSS properties in classes. So you do like a it's been a while since I used it, but like a D dash none would be for like display none and stuff like that. Um, and you just like write out like tons and tons of classes per div to make it work, which works for those individual ones, like adding margins and stuff like that. But then when you have those repeatables, like I just said, those repeatables then become just one class that you make like a custom, a custom collection of the uh, Tailwind CSS properties, which is pretty nice. So yep. it's just a matter of not not having to switch back and forth between the files, laying it all out right there, and then realizing, oh, this is something that's repeatable. Let's you know fix that right now instead of sort of what happens in traditional CSS where you realize something's repeatable. So then sometimes you backtrack and you try to like pull it like pull another class, but then you realize that you put something very specific, like ver- like almost virtually the same. Um, so like if you let's say have the same content box or everything, but some of them have borders when you're in traditional CSS, you might make like content dot box or, or dot dot content dash box as your class. And then you're going to be like, Holy crap. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm making this same, uh, the, uh, the same collection of properties over and over and over again. I'm going to just going to use this, you know, content, content dash box class. You do it. And then you're like, wait a second, I don't want borders and everything. So then you got to like rip that out, make another class. And now you're adding a second class to some of these things. And it's not as right in front of your face. And it's more in front of your face with Tailwind because you're just like, oh, wait, I don't want to type in this thing out again. Let me just like copy paste this. And then you, it's it's just easier, I find, to do it that way. Yeah, I think it just makes stuff a little bit easier. I, I think that the, the thing I like about it is it's not a major change. It's not like Bootstrap where they make a lot of assumptions for you, like what a button's supposed to look like or what a, what a container is supposed to be or what a grid is. You know what I mean? Like Bootstrap, Bootstrap does a lot of things for you, whereas Tailwind, you're... It's just CSS really written in a different way. Um, and it just makes it slightly faster. I think that's all it is. And that's why I like it. I, I, I do, I have used Bootstrap many times. I just tend to just, I tend to be pushed away from it because again, it's something I have to learn on top of CSS, 
whereas Tailwind is just CSS. And that's it. Yes. Um, it's often been said that, like, it's often been said that, like, Tailwind, uh, Tailwind CSS is um, not a UI framework, whereas Bootstrap is. Yes. Like, Bootstrap has those cookie cutter things. But the thing is, is that with Tailwind, you're building the UI from scratch for the most part. You know, almost like 99%, if not 100%, you're building the UI yourself. Now, there is another tool called Tailwind UI. I haven't really looked at much into that, so I presume that's what that is. I don't know. I don't it's actually a paid, know. paid tool, yeah. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm not sure what Tailwind UI is. I've never used mm-hmm. it. Um, but with Bootstrap, it's sort of like Bootstrap is there's, there's pre-built things. So you're adding, like you're saying, buttons. You're adding... Uh, you can just say like, oh, I want effectively, I want a nav bar of this type, and then a nav bar sort of just, just sort of appears, and it's responsive, and it has the navicon or the or the the hamburger menu, as some call it. It's all right there. Basically, Tailwind is there if you want to use a framework, but you want to build from scratch. Bootstrap is there if you want to rapidly spin up a website, and you are going to be, and that website is going to have pretty well the generic, standard, modern design language of whatever version of Bootstrap you're using. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I like that. Um, okay, so moving on, Svelte. Svelte is, again, it's not a framework that came out in 2020, but I think it gained a lot of popularity in it. Uh, it's, again, a similar framework to React and Vue. We've made, we had an episode on it. I'm not going to go too far into it. Um, it's it's made a name for itself for being a lot easier to pick up because it's a lot more like JavaScript. It's a lot more like you're just writing simple JavaScript inside a component file um, there's a le- lot less structure to it than with a Re- view and uh, react and it's very fast and it works really well on like low connections. Cause again, the minified files are very small. Um, it has a decent plugin ecosystem. Now it's go- is growing and growing. It has a bunch of built in features that you can pull in that are built first party from the Svelte developers. Uh, there's just a lot to like about Svelte to be honest. And it's, it's another one of those things that I might explore more in 2021 because it has it has the potential to be the de facto framework. I, in my opinion, as much as I love Vue and I still I'm still like fully ahead with Vue, I'm always looking for something else, and I always want to make sure that I'm not too far behind. So that's why I think I'm going to keep Svelte in my back pocket. I might use it for a small project here and there, just to see if how viable it is. Cause I know when I used it before it was great for like prototyping, great for getting something quick, but I had a few issues where I was like, Oh, does this support it? And it wasn't supported. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think I talked about it in the Svelte episode from before. So moving on here with that Deno. So, or it's either Deno or Dino. I can't remember exactly how to say it. It is um, incredible how this, I don't even know what it is. And that's what's incredible. I don't even know what Deno is. Like, if you came up to me and was like, you want to play Deno? I would just think it was a game. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's a weird name for it. And they, they actually themselves mispronounced it initially. <laughs> and then they corrected their pronunciation. So that's why I'm confused between Deno and Dino. Wait, the creators? The creators, correct. Yeah, the creators. How, did they, how do you? I don't know. What? It's a proper, know. like, it, it's I mean, sort there's of a like team when... of them. Maybe they just had a disagreement or something. I don't know. But regardless, I know some of the creators mispronounced it at some point. So it I was going to say our, our name, HTML, all the things. I've had a couple people say, I believe it's the, the, the is supposed to be lowercase. That's correct in normal English, but it's a proper title. And we use the acronym hat. So therefore, it's, uh, 
Therefore, it's supposed to be capitalized in our brand, if that makes sense. Yeah, we're not writing an essay here. It's all good. <laughs> um, so, Deno, I'm going to call it Deno, uh, is a backend framework a la Node.js. So, it's an alternative to Node.js. It is JavaScript-based. But the interesting part about it is that it has TypeScript support built in. So you don't have to add like TypeScript as a separate plugin or anything like that. And it also, I believe, is built partly with WebAssembly. And what WebAssembly does for stuff like backend frameworks is it just makes stuff run a little bit smoother, a little bit faster. And I'll talk about WebAssembly as one of the later points, but just know that it's a little bit more of a faster language for certain applications. And there's a lot of things that Deno can rely on that can kind of be used at it. I, I believe it uses Rust with WebAssembly, which is, again, a separate language that uh, is, is supported with WebAssembly. Um, it's, again, it's heavily typed, which the, the TypeScript, me, TypeScript uh, implies. And it also doesn't use NPM. It uses just direct URLs. It's trying to go away from this idea of continually building packages so having to manage a continual integration of packages and like having to manage the dependencies by having to build a massive bundle every time that you update your code. So I know, Matt, you've worked on stuff with Vue. So you know that every time you save a Vue project, it'll recompile it and quickly like reload your browser and stuff like that. Like it's fairly quick, but every mm -hmm. time you save, that's what it's doing. It's recompiling into a simple set, a simple bundle of JavaScript, HTML, and CSS. What the trend that I'm seeing in 2020 and going into 2021 is people want to get away from that. People want it so that you don't have to compile on every save back in like, like you're building a regular JavaScript page. You, they want you to have it so that you, you know, when you save, it just updates that page without having to recompile all your files into one file. Right. And that's kind of what Deno is doing. And that's the trend that it's taking. So it's a little bit faster. It has a pretty big ecosystem already. Um, and as long as you're a fan of heavily typed languages, Deno might be the way to go for you. So if you're coming from like a C background or a C sharp background, C plus or a Java background, going into a backend language like Deno or going into a backend framework like Deno might be the way to go. And just stay tuned in the future. There's a couple episodes that I have planned. One of those episodes is going to be a Deno versus Node.js episode where I'm going to go into this a little bit more heavily. So moving on here is Snowpack. So this is something that I just learned about literally, I think, two or three days ago. Um, but it has been creeping up apparently pretty heavily in 2020. And it's, again, one of those things that is uh, perpetrating this idea of not running a compiler every single time you save code. So it is a system that is supposed to be an alternative to Webpack. So Webpack is what all these modern frameworks are built on. So like React, Vue, um, those are both built using Webpack. So again, the idea is, is that anytime you add a node module, anytime you have a dependency, what Webpack will do is it will save, like when you save your code, it will build your entire project and all your dependencies into one JavaScript file, one HTML file, one CSS file, right? So every time it has to build, again, it's not a huge deal. Some builds for me usually take like seconds, like a few seconds. But if you're talking like a big project or if you're talking about lower end computers when you're developing, it could be kind of a pain. 
So the development flow is a little bit better with something like Snowpack from what I can tell. Uh, because what Snowpack does is it piggybacks on this thing called JS modules, which is built right into regular JavaScript uh, that's supported like with newer versions of Chrome and Firefox and uh, Safari. Every, it's, it's supported across all browsers at this point, unless you're talking older browsers. Um, and it allows you to kind of import and export entire modules or entire libraries or entire plugins right from your browser. So you, again, before what you had to do was you had to, when you do an import or an export, the Webpack module would see that and build it into one file. But now the browser can do it for you in real time. So you don't have to, you don't have, you can skip that step of having to build those files. You can just have those import and export statements right in your JavaScript. So that's what kind of Snowpack piggybacks on, allowing you to have kind of, you know, one build per plugin install rather than one build per save, if that makes sense. I like how this, this is, you know, one of these technologies where it, like just even your notes here kind of encompass the idea that web development, modern web development, if you will, if you're doing stuff like this, like if you're not just using WordPress or Webflow or vanilla, that the modern web developer is working upon a leaning and constantly shifting tower of Pisa yes. <laughs> effectively. Yeah. Because holy crap, we were talking about Webpack here and there <laughs> this year. And now it's like, no, 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 no. Snowpack <laughs> because it piggybacks on this other thing. And there's a few more technologies. Admittedly, one of them is WordPress. That's in this episode coming up. And I don't. I haven't used Snowpack to be to be totally clear. Either, but to be very as clear. an as an outsider, this just sounds rickety. But everything does. Like I'm not. This is not a a comment against Snowpack. This is a comment against the industry. In that, why the hell are we using so many different technologies to build a website? Like at the end of the day. Most people are writing blogs. <laughs> Most people are writing blog posts or or posting pictures or something. You know what I mean? Like like what are we do, what are we doing so, here? So I can explain it a little bit. So as JavaScript matures and more features get built into JavaScript, stuff comes out to take advantage of those features and make it easier for newer technologies to take advantage of those features. So for instance, like I was saying, the JS modules and that's the next thing I'm going to talk about. Um, that allows you to kind of do what Webpack did for you before, before JS modules were supported in JavaScript. And that's why Snowpack, again, piggybacks on something that that's already integrated into plain JavaScript to make it a little bit, to make another system like Webpack a little bit better. And that's kind of the piggybacking that's happening. So as JavaScript evolves, there's going to be newer technologies that take advantage of the technologies that JavaScript is doing. Like, for instance, with jQuery. Before, jQuery was not essential, but it was really important for creating reactive and interesting websites, like stuff that changes content all the time or animations and stuff like that. Slowly, JavaScript built in almost all, if not all the features straight in from jQuery into JavaScript, right? So that jQuery got phased out, but other stuff took took over, like React, like Angular, like uh, Vue, that piggybacked on those features. And that's kind of the leapfrog that's happening. That's why it, it is rickety in a sense, but it's not for no reason. It's not just because, oh, we're, you know, we're just trying new things and that's it. There is a logical step here that like JS modules is supported. Oh, we can build something better now. 
for the general public. Yes, like uh, I, this this comes back to my argument or my statement on, you know, as things upgrade, as things change, we need to yes. push forward, and that's one of these things. It's just. Like, for example, even in your notes here, you said also what Deno is powered on. So if somebody at, like, Snowpack or the team just gets pissed off and pulls Snowpack, then Deno was dead. Well, yeah, like, uh, I, that, that's a – I didn't say it because uh, that's actually not, like, a fully true statement. It just – Deno supports Snowpack, I believe. It's more – Oh, more, yeah, yeah. It's, they support Webpack and Snowpack, I think. Um, so it's not, it's not powered on. That was just something I wrote when I was listening to some talk and then I realized that that's wrong and I didn't take it out. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Like to be fair to you, it is weird because like, again, I have never used snowpack and yet it's become this thing over the year that's now become used in multiple different technologies. Like Svelte apparently has, like I just talked about it, has a snowpack build. Right, like all these different technologies have snowpack all of a sudden. I've never even heard of it until literally like three days ago. Here's a here's a question to build on what you just said. So who's building these projects that's always in the cutting edge? So we as an agency have had several discussions recently about moving our customers to one or two specific code bases and trying to pigeonhole them into these code bases unless there's certain circumstances that prevent them from doing that. And this and by doing so will result in us having better customer service for them but also having it so that it's easier for us to manage so that we're always in x framework or we're always in x tool whereas every single time one of these things come out my thought process always is is like let's just for example i say i i I take this year and i'm not gonna i mean i don't have any plans to do this but god knows let's let's just say this year i decide okay i'm gonna become a react js guru and so I go and I build everything I can in React and I learn all the ins and outs and I build a bunch of projects and I have the greatest time in the world with React.js. And then something comes out. I don't know. Uh, well, like React you or 2. Spelled. Like React 2 or something. Like mm-hmm. whatever. Like, like, like just something brand new. Brand new just suddenly comes out. And React 2 is like a totally different thing and it's not, um, it's not React.js. It's just called React 2. People just start using it and it suddenly becomes popular. But I'm just trying to figure out in my head what agency is being like. Yeah, let's 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 use this totally untested new thing. No. And then with that being said, it's like, why are these freelancers? You know, not 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 to sound ridiculous, but why are these freelancers bo- freelancers bothering? So it's not agencies like not old agencies that all of a sudden get out there and just start using new technology right away. They do wait for a while. Older agencies and they they do what you're saying. They pigeonhole customers into certain technologies. That's why they're usually they're not at the forefront. They're just building websites, cookie cutter websites, boom, 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 boom like a factory, um, using technology that they already know until something else is, comes out that's proven in like five years. Anyway, it's not those people. It's it's startups. Startups that have newer technology, newer brands and stuff like that, that want to attract newer talent and and want to attract better developers. Those are the people, those are the companies that are actually using these newer things. And those are the people that are pushing it forward. Because once a startup of of a legitimate size, let's say a startup starts using snowpack because they they like the idea of it and they find an issue with the snowpack with snowpack if they're of a legitimate size and they have the funding they'll actually put money into snowpack even though it's like an all open open source project 
for them to solve the issues that they're having. And that's what moves these projects forward. The more companies like that, that feel that this, this technology is the way forward that use it, they are the ones that go in and actually carry it forward. Cause not only do they provide like, sometimes income, like legitimate money to these companies to be able to develop it. They actually provide developers sometimes and being like, Hey, John, you are actually going to go and work on this bug for snowpack to make it sure that it works for us, but you're also going to submit it as a pull request into Snowpack so that it works for everyone else. Because we want to put ourselves forward as a forward thinking and a forward acting organization, a forward acting startup, so that when we need to hire Jim over there, he's going to see that, hey, we submitted some pull requests into Snowpack. We're we're willing to work with newer technologies. Maybe Maybe Jim that just graduated from Stanford will be willing to work with us. It's a, it's a way for startups to get better people to push for technologies forward. It's all kind of like this snowballing thing. Like for instance, like one of the startups that we're working with, uh, we talk to other startups all the time. We're using Vue.js right now. We use Flutter. We use these newer technologies, like not the newest ones out there, but newer technologies. When we talk to the newer startups, they're also using newer technologies. As soon as we start talking to older corporations, they're the ones that are that are stuck kind of in the cookie cutter route where they're using older stuff because they just have no choice because they have so many people there. It's just difficult to switch. Like it makes sense because like you have like 50 developers or 60 developers that all or like 100 developers that all have been using the same kind of technologies for years, switching 60 to 100 developers to a new technology. That's a very big task. Like I'm t- like, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars potentially, because you've got to retrain them. And the good thing is, is that when you become, when, if you're a lean developer, like if you're a startup developer, or if you're, you know, willing, like willing to learn the theory behind the programming, it's not that difficult to go to a different tech, like going from Snowpack to Webpack for me personally, will not be a challenge. Like that's, that's going to be like, you know, half a day of just, you know, converting my stuff to it. It went once it's supported in the technologies that I'm using. It's not an issue. And that's that's the challenge that these companies, that these other, uh, sorry, not these companies, but these other projects like Snowpack, like Svelte, like Tailwind all have is like that migration process for someone to just pick it up and use it has to be very easy, at least for them to get started with it or for them to convert whatever they were using with it. And then for them to learn maybe the intricacies, that's the difficult part. It's a pretty good insight, honestly. I never really thought of the the startups, the startups wanting to do the pull request, checking out the new stuff. Yeah, it's a big I guess, thing. It's a big thing in the like, industry. This is like a, a question that probably we can't answer, but what's interesting is if there were so let's say you're a startup, you 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 choose you choose Snowpack and you start using it, you know, chances are you're gonna slowly become that agency that doesn't want to move away from Snowpack. So it's almost like as if these consistent, uh, or this, I don't know if it's new or what you'd call it, but this, this startup company culture is actually fueling web development. And it would be interesting to see in an economic downturn, um, where startup culture itself is affected to the point where people are not starting companies at the rate in which they were, or specifically not in tech for whatever reason, it'd be interesting to see if the industry stagnates to an extent 
and you just basically have like JavaScript being pushed forward, but everyone's sticking with their snow packs and their web packs, and there's no like Fox pack or whatever God ever God knows whatever else would come out. I I personally I, I think we can't answer that, but I personally think my theory would be that yes, I think it would stagnate a little bit. The less money being pushed into the tech industry, the less companies being open that would support stuff like this, technology like this that have a better chance of it. And I'm not saying that every large company doesn't, you know, try new things here and there cuz I'm sure they do. But in the in the general rule of thumb is like larger companies with more developers it's harder for them to. So that's why. But regardless, I agree with you, Matt. I think that as as a economic downturn goes, if startups are starting to be slower in creation, stuff like this gets less it gets us popular to create because again when you're creating something you want people to use it even if you think it's the best thing ever you don't like if you're creating something this big you're not going to be like you're not going to be very happy if no one's using it and if there's no startups to try it out and if there's no new developers going into these like smaller companies that have a say in what technology to use then you have a, a it's going to go down a little bit I don't know if it's going to completely stop, but it'll definitely stagnate a little bit. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We need. You're right, though. I think we we probably need like an econo- an economist or God yes. knows what what else to answer the question. Yes, exactly. For the economy wise, but interesting. All right. So with that being said, uh, one thing I do want to mention is I again, like I said, with the whole Deno Node.js, I will be doing a Webpack versus Snowpack episode sometime this year as well. So stay tuned for that. Coming out tomorrow. No, nope, not tomorrow. <laughs> not going to promise that. I don't even know if it's going to be next week because I do want to spend some time with it. Again, I literally learned about this like three days ago, so that's why I don't want to go f- too far into it yet. The night, the night is young. Like, it's not even ten <laughs> no p.m. Sleeping. here there's as no of recording tonight. this. Just, no, just there's no sleeping tonight. <laughs> All right, there's no sleeping tonight. Go out, break your windshield wipers, come back, <sighs> and then do some snowpack versus webpack. It's fine. Well done. You don't even have a webcam there. Both of us, both of us. Well, I don't know where my webcam is because I got a new desk. I don't know where my webcam is. Mike doesn't have a webcam, but it's fine. Just somehow webcam it. Use your webcam. You're your, your making a murderer webcam. <laughs> there is a freaking inside joke. Yeah, holy. I used to have a really, really bad webcam that I bought for like a good $6 off of a site called Deal Extreme. <laughs> this was like eight years ago or nine years ago a six dollar <laughs> webcam from nine years ago so just just a picture of that image quality it had about 120 pixels i think 120 it looked pixels. like you always had the blue light filter on yeah. which is why i call it the making a murderer because like the making a murderer intro has like sort of a patina to it because it's like the intro right it's like animated or whatever and that's the exact thought i got from watching when mike turned that on i was like holy fuck this is, looks like you're filming making a murderer but like the intro to it even with but even like worse live. quality even worse this quality than like the 70s photographs that were faded <laughs> from the making a murderer uh, documentary but yeah um with that being said <laughs> back to back to this uh the next thing here is js modules so like i talked about before I mean, Deno, Snowpack, all these things are kind of piggybacking on this other trend. And this, again, is not something that came out in 2020, but I feel like has definitely been pushed forward in 2020 is the JS modules. And essentially all that is, is the ability to import and export functions and classes from one file to another natively supported by the browsers. 
So instead of having to, again, compile your code, which we used to have to do before into one separate, one single JS file, you can have multiple JS files with different classes, different functionality, different plugins, and be able to import and export those JS files willy-nilly inside the browser. Uh, and that's about it. There's not much else really to it. Again, it allows for stuff like Snowpack, Deno, uh, all, all these technologies to exist without having to have a massive amount of compiling, without having to rely on a lot of server infrastructure and with the ability to also have much better caching functionality. So let me explain that a little bit. How caching works is that it essentially allows you to store a file on a, on your client's machine. So when someone loads your page, they store the files there. But if the next time they come to your page, they see a change in a file that they've stored, they'll take it from the server rather than the, the, the stored file. What happened before with like Vue.js or React, every time that Webpack builds those files, it builds them into a single JavaScript, HTML, and CSS file. So anytime you make a change, regardless of if you're changing a plugin or whatever, it's going to update the whole shebang. And every time that the person accesses that page, they're going to have to take the whole shebang with it, right? Well, now what you are allowed to do with JS modules is instead of updating the whole thing, you're only taking the files that have actually changed. You're splitting up your files again. So this is one of those trends that kind of was popular before where we had these websites that had many, many, many files. Then it came back into this single page web app kind of infrastructure where it was just one file all packaged using Webpack. And now it's trending back to the sense that, hey, maybe a lot of files does make sense, especially when we're talking about large plugin files that don't change very often. So anytime that you don't have a plugin that changes, that's going to just be cached forever, essentially, on your client's computer. So they don't have to update that random plugin that you're using to like update the weather or something on their website. Um, they only update anytime you actually change your core code or something like that. That's the only files that will be up, updated. So that's the advantages of JS modules. There's probably other ones that I'm missing, but it's kind of a cool technology I want to discuss. Um, with that, next thing here is WebAssembly. So this one got a lot bigger than I thought it was going to get. Uh, this could be interesting to you, Matt. I'm not sure, but uh, essentially what WebAssembly allows you to do is run low-level code like C++, C, uh, Rust. Those are all like low-level languages in the browser to do certain computationally heavy tasks. For instance, any sort of rendering or video encoding like FFmpeg. For, I, I, I don't know if you know what FFmpeg is, Matt. Don't, so, although it sounds like a movie yes. codec. So I, yeah, the reason that I, I pointed it out is because it's one of those, um, it's a library that essentially allows you to convert one type of video to another type of video. Ah, right, okay, so you can convert okay. like AVI to MP4, whatever. And you can do that. Usually what, what it does is it it's something that you would put on your server, like your PHP server or whatever. And you would just send that video over, upload it, send it to your server. It would convert it and then put it, store it somewhere and you could play that video. What WebAssembly has allowed to do is FMFEBPEG to run right in the browser, which means you can have a client upload the video, have it convert right on their machine and for them to watch it from that from that. Uh, whatever format that you need them to watch it in right on their machine rather than ping now, your server. Now, is it, is it based upon, 
Well, I mean, I guess it would be. I was going to say, is it based upon the power of that machine? Of, of course. Yes, absolutely. But like, again, it's it, it works in some tasks, but let's say that you have like a very low budget and you need a lot of media consumption and you just don't have the server that can handle a, a lot of clients. Well, this is something that could alleviate that, obviously, because you don't have- It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, it's interesting because we recently had a project- um, we just like had a, had a conversation about it um, and you know, it is NDA, but uh, just to sort of paraphrase and again, changing details for security's sake and all that. But um, we had a project in which the person needed to store a fair bit of videos, excuse me, uh, like, um, <clears throat> like uh, um, kind of like YouTube almost. And we were, you know, letting them know that, Hey, you know, there's there's ways to get around a lot of technical things, right? Little ways you can hack around stuff, use third-party services, whatever, to sort of lessen the amount of uh, server costs you're going to have for, let's say, a web app. But there's no way around video and images. You know, video, especially out of the two, is big, and video requires compute time. And that's just the way it is. There's nothing else that you can do. And so this would be, yep, it wouldn't work for them. But it's just sort of sort of interesting as like a a thing that could have come up, if you will. Yeah, exactly. It's it's something that could eventually work for them, even and who who knows. But regardless, it's really cool. But the other thing that WebAssembly is is it's powering a lot of the web now. For instance, Figma, a big web development web design uh, application where you can lay out your web designs, do high fidelity design, low fidelity designs, whatever. It's really big. Uh, like similar to Sketch. Um, it's all powered essentially with Wasm. And I've linked an article in the show notes. I don't know when they're going to be up, but there's an article in the show notes that says that when they've converted to WebAssembly, again, Wasm, WebAssembly, same thing, uh, it cut their load times for regular clients by three times, like three times faster. And as well as the performance of actually like changing, you know, your canvas and stuff like that, rendering, any sort of graphical rendering that you're talking about, WebAssembly is going to be much better at. So that's interesting. Yeah. That's now, now here's the question. So would it rely on their machine weight incompatibility though? No, it's just, it, it it's just, uh, it wait in what, in what way it would rely on the browser supporting it. But I believe uh, WebAssembly supported pretty heavily on all browsers at this point. Cause I was just thinking it's a browser technology. Okay. Cause I was just computer. thinking like, would this offload to some sort of like, Windows process, no. and then no. you'd be like, oh, you're using Linux. Sorry, bud. It, all it does is it takes advantage of the language's structure. So it's not so much like actually writing straight to the core or straight to something that we understand as like an embedded controller or something like that. It's actually using the languages like how C++ handles garbage collection, how C++ handles rendering. It uses the advantages of those languages to uh, render stuff and compute stuff faster. Because JavaScript has a lot of unnecessary uh, things it does in the background that we're not certainly aware of. So, like uh, we're not aware of what it's doing. Like maybe to move a pixel from left to right, it's doing something a lot less efficient than what like a C plus plus renderer would do. If that makes right, sense, right, right, yeah. So it's just allowing you to use these low level languages uh, to to kind of take advantage of their power the, the, that's fascinating yes yeah, it is really fascinating the disadvantage of it is obviously is a lot more difficult to write 
than JavaScript. So like you're going to need to either pay for a much more experienced developer or learn something much more complicated than JavaScript. But again, in certain scenarios, like stuff like, you know, YouTube and uh, Amazon and all that, I'm sure they're using Wasm under the hood because it saves so much rendering power. It would, it would, wouldn't make any sense not to use it. Yeah. Cause they, you know, they're rendering a crap ton of images and yeah. I think there might even be videos in those products. Like talk about Amazon in, in there might even be image. I think there might be videos in some of those, uh, image carousels for products. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, it, it's really interesting, uh, stuff that I will keep an eye on, but not, I don't anticipate using WebAssembly anytime soon. I don't have any kind of projects that will require me to go to the core <laughs> essentially. Um, but with that, that kind of ends the uh, section for new technologies that I was using. And so just a couple of things that I want to touch on is that um, we don't want to always be focused on only the new stuff because there's plenty of good technologies out there that are maybe a little bit older, maybe are, you know, aren't as supported, but are still very powerful. For instance, Cordova, Apache Cordova or Web WebGap or whatever it was called before. Uh, phone gap. Yeah, yeah, phone gap. That's right. It was called. I think it's still around too. Yeah, I think it is, but it's de- like fully deprecated now, whereas Cordova isn't. Like it's still kind of being supported. Um, but regardless, what it allows you to do is package a regular HTML, JavaScript, CSS project into a iOS or iPhone app or iOS or Android application, right? And it's really simple to kind of start up and use and package. It's not the same as React Native in the sense that you have to learn a whole new XML uh, layout language because you're literally using regular JavaScript and CSS and HTML. You don't really have to learn anything new. You just have to learn how the framework actually works and where to put files and stuff like that. It's it's all pretty self-explanatory, especially if you're trying to do a very simple application. It gets a little bit more difficult or a little bit more hands-on when you're trying to do some custom functionality for Android and iOS. Um, that gets a little bit more hands-on. You have to understand the structures of how Cordova does stuff. But regardless, for the basics, it's great. And if you just have a regular application that doesn't rely on rendering a bunch of stuff and doesn't rely on uh, a lot of CPU and GPU performance, I still think it's a very viable solution because again, it's a build once and run anywhere kind of solution, right? It's not like you have to react native or flutter anything because flutter uses a completely different language called dart. It's a great uh, technology. And I, I don't have it here because I didn't use it that much this year, but I didn't have the need for it, but regardless, it's a great technology, but it's not one of those things where I can just build a, you know, a flutter application and run it in the web, uh, the iOS and Android app uh, devices easily and with with good performance whereas cordova is absolutely that and i do it even to this day like i was working on cordova projects today well that's the thing with cordova as well is i don't think it gets enough credit because if you think about it like i i worked on a cordova project years ago i don't think it's live anymore um well the the site certainly isn't live anymore but i think the app has been taken down as well but it was on uh, berry flow which is a which was a like a BlackBerry sort of fan site slash media coverage site, and um, I built the website for the, I built the app. Sorry for that for that website, and I basically just pulled like you know this is in Cordova. I pulled in the uh, the website's uh, blog posts, which I think were in WordPress. I don't remember now, 
And I also pulled in from the RSS feed, I pulled in the uh, podcast episodes. And I also like had a bunch of other little screens in there. And I had, um, there was like this media thing that they did called the Blackberry Initiative or something, I think, at, at back then. And there was a lot of media and even that was pulled in. And I even added gestures and I was new, like hell if I knew what the hell I was doing. And I, I was like, this was years ago. I was pretty new to even web development and I built that app and I told the guy too, like when the beginning, I was like, I think I'm going to make it into a web view. And he didn't think it'd be any good, but he's like, well, let's see how it looks. And I showed him and he's like, this is like a native app. Yeah. Like he, like there's no, he's like, I have no idea. Like I would have no idea. This is a web view. 99% of people out there would not. Obviously the, you know, the, the web developers that are really inclined, like they, they'll know. There's a, there's a few little hiccups with animations here and there and stuff like that that are just a little bit different than a native but, application. But if your website is like about reading exactly. blog posts, no like one cares. All, all it is is get the words in front of the person. Yeah, and 99%, like your your clients, the people that are, the your audience is not going to care that it's a web app. No one's going to care. No. Yeah. Like it, there, there are certain circumstances, like don't get me wrong, where building a native application or building something with React Native or with uh, Flutter is better. But... Honestly, I think for most people that are listening to this podcast, if you need to create an Android application or an iOS application from your website or in general, really, that you need to create quickly, look at Cordova. It's on. It, it's pretty cool. Like it can do a lot of things. Um, with that, uh, the final thing here is WordPress. And again, I just like I know a lot of people like to bash WordPress and say that it's a dying thing and all that. And that could be true. Like it could be going down in market share. I'm not sure about that, but reg- I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't buy into that. Yeah. Even if it is going down in market share, um, it still has, it, it, it comes, it comes down to the fact that more stuff is going on the web. So the actual market has changed and obviously WordPress is not going to be used to build the powerful applications that are on the web today. But there's no re- but there's no also no reason to use the powerful tools that are used to make powerful web apps in WordPress. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. So of course, even if it is losing market share, like I said, we don't know. But even if those numbers come out, the market is different. Like the market is changing. People are doing more and more online, and web apps are becoming much more popular. And WordPress is more tailored toward websites, not web apps. Yep. Exactly. And and it's still a very powerful platform. It's still getting updated. It's not like people have abandoned it. Like it still has plenty of updates. Um, I believe there's some performance updates. Like there's still all the hiccups with the plugins. Like you, you can still get into plugin hell and you can still have security issues, stuff like that. But regardless, if you're looking for something that is very viable to learn, very... Um, very used in the workplace. Like if you're looking for a job, like I'm sorry, but WordPress is still a very big part of the job market. Uh, if you're looking for something where like your customer, you know, your customer is going to ask for like 50 million things and you can't build all that every single time. You there, There's a reason why WordPress is still around and it's still so popular is because of the plugin ecosystem. There's a plugin for literally anything. So your your, your client goes like, I need this slider to flash red and then flash white and then show me like, you know, pictures of tanks here and that there is a plugin for that, like almost guaranteed. Whatever he asks you to do, there's a plugin, whether it's going to work great, who cares? Like if he's not going to be paying you that much or whatever, at least you can get his task accomplished and get move on with the project rather than being like, okay, well, I'm going to have to build it. It's going to take about a month. 
Uh, it's going to take about $3,000 and then you'll have your slider that flashes white, blue, and gray and a tank here and a tank there. Like, I don't know. That's just completely random, but I'm just saying like clients ask for really random things all the time. And we know the clients that are going to be really demanding on uh, stuff and they're going to be coming to you being like, Hey, I saw this on this one website from like 10 years ago. Uh, can you implement that here? It should be easy. Those are the clients that I would reach WordPress for if you need to. Uh, and, and we've had that too, where um, we've, seen clients needs and they you are coming to us and their current websites on WordPress and they're not happy with it for whatever reason needs to be upgraded. Maybe it's just old. And we say, okay, you know, maybe we can make a custom solution because your needs don't seem to be that much. And then usually what ends up happening is, is like you maintain the old one for a while and you realize, you know, holy crap, these guys are calling about a lot and they're, it's all over the place. Like they want quizzes, they want newsletters. Then all of a sudden they want like, podcasts in here like it's all over the place and then what it becomes is you're like wait a second no 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 no. this this has like there's a reason why this is on wordpress it's because we need that marketplace of plugins because if we don't it's going to be hell like we're going to be like oh my god we got to build out a whole podcast infrastructure thing that like reads our rss feeds here we go and then whereas in wordpress you just go like plugins podcasts or rss or whatever you search and then you could find a solution for you show it to the client and Basically, plug it in, set it up. That's it. And that's it. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely still a very viable platform, and I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. We're using it. Like, yeah. you know, we used to rip on it all the time. And like I said, like, we're, we, we've are we said this several times. It's like our, our opinion changes all the time, and we use it. And we're pushing some clients to it because mm-hmm. we know these clients keep wanting different and oftentimes very random to us features. And... You can't, as a web developer, keep up, especially at the budgets that a lot of people have. WordPress allows you to install new features across a wide variety of different things from wildlife through God knows what, all from a, a marketplace, an app store inside the app. And sure, it has some clunk and sure, it has some problems, but you're not going to be able to put in the, the amount of time it is required to make a perfectly non-clunky version of whatever feature they're asking when most people don't have the budget to, to afford that. Yep, exactly. Um, I think with that, though, uh, that kind of ends, ends this segment. And uh, we're going to move on to segment number two, which is just a kind of a retrospective on our year. And I'm just going to set this up a little bit. We'll have a little bit of discussion. Just, just to, We're not going to go too far into it, but if you wanted to learn a little bit more about this, we had a uh, Patreon exclusive before the show segment right before we started recording this podcast where we go a little bit more in depth into what we'll be discussing right now and a little bit more in depth into our like our goals for next year and stuff like that. So check that out on our Patreon at Patreon uh, slash patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Um, but with that being said, also it's available for free for everyone. Yeah. Right yeah, yeah. You like don't have the, to pay. That's yeah. a good point, Matt. Uh, it, you don't have to pay quite yet. We still don't know what we're going to be doing with those Patreon exclusives. We might put them behind a paywall in the future, but for now, check them out while you still can essentially. Um, but with that, our year this year has been kind of, uh, broken down to three things here, coronavirus <laughs> streaming and HTML, things.com. So, Coronavirus really threw a wrench into everything that we had planned or all our expectations for the year, at least. Um, I know it was a little bit demoralizing to see the stats. Uh, I'm not going to go too far into the stats because I don't have them pulled up. And again, demoralizing. 
they didn't go down like crazy. I'm not saying that we lost like, you know, everyone, uh, but they definitely did not meet our expectations. And a lot of that can be kind of put onto the coronavirus front because with coronavirus, a lot less people are driving to work. Our primary listener, as we learned, is definitely the commuter. And we lost all those essentially because people that work from home, yes, they listen to podcasts, but they just do it a lot more sparingly because they have a lot of other things that they're doing at home. There's a lot of other ways that they can keep themselves entertained. There's videos, uh, there's kids, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a lot more difficult. I found myself uh, at, at least at the beginning of the of the coronavirus pandemic, listening to less podcasts. Now I've kind of adapted my schedule to be able to still have a, a good li- amount of listening to podcasts in the morning and stuff like that. But regardless, I can understand why that would affect our numbers. Um, it's still shitty to see, obviously. Like it's still like you know we know the reasoning, um, but we. It might like I think that there's maybe something we could have done better to maybe have alleviate that a little bit. May, like there, there's a few things that I'm regretting at this point, not putting effort into. But the other aspect of this is that like, yes, coronavirus affected our stats, but it also affected us. And that it would be ignorant to think that like we we were just like all okay all throughout the year, but really we did suffer a little bit of, you know demoralization uh panic um just a lot of stuff built in right like with the whole pandemic uncertainty everything and that definitely did affect the final product of the podcast and of html all the things in general so that's something we definitely want to work on in the new year but that's kind of my retrospective of how coronavirus affected our year this year one thing that we did start is streaming on uh twitch.tv slash html the things um and it was great like we we did it i did it pretty consistently for a while uh had a lot of fun with it but it was also really draining as well and it's something that i need to work on it's one of it's actually one of my weekly growth goals that we started last time we had an episode a couple weeks ago uh whereas i need to come up with a better structure for my streams where it's not so stressful on me and it's more enjoyable because i had a lot of enjoyment out of it but i also had a lot of moments where i'm like what am i doing like i'm just sweating here and trying to figure out a stupid issue so i want to make sure that next time i stream and that's coming up um i want to have it so that it's a more enjoyable and better experience for the audience myself and for that to kind of be on a more consistent basis as well and I, more John Cena's than ever. Yeah, more John Cena's than ever. That was a great time. And anytime that people donated, or there was a there was a specific bit bit thing that if you donated, you got John Cena to yell at me in my ear at full volume, no matter what. It's ridiculous because <laughs> I always forget to turn on my volume because I'm not listening to anything while I'm streaming. Uh, I don't listen to music usually while I'm streaming. I'm just kind of concentrating on the code and talking to the audience. So every time I forget to turn it down, and every time I'm blared with John Cena. Do, 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 do that, that whole thing. Um, and then the other thing I'll, I'll let you, Matt, talk about HTML of things.com, but it's something that we kind of, we, we wanted to get out this year, but it's another one of those things that like, I think we regret not capitalizing on, but something that we're definitely going to be trying to capitalize on for next year. Yeah. Um, HTML of things.com. Uh, I was streaming that as well. And I just, I don't know, I, I fell off the wagon, but I was also busy. So we had, I just had some like, crap going on my, in my family, personal wise, like some family members had some health issues and stuff like that. And then just the, like, just the overall arcing thing, not to like whine or anything, but just the overall thing of the year, um, overall mood of the year, I just sort of hunkered down. Uh, I've said this a couple, like a few times to people, but 
you know, to me anyway, 2020 was a year of survival, wasn't a year of progress. And so I just kind of hunkered down and like even just personally and tried to just do things for fun with friends online and just do my work and get, get you know, get my work done and stuff like that, of course. But um, it was just more of a time of just this isn't a year of progress that was in my head at all times. So that doesn't really help when you're trying to push a push almost what's. I guess a seemingly optional website project down, <laughs> down my own throat to do. Um, but this year we're going to, you know, it's needed now in the, the old, the old draft site served its purpose, but you know, it was getting old, getting kind of rickety. We had some feedback in the beginning, people being like, Hey, like, why do you have like this, you know, this draft website up when you guys are web devs? And it's like, well, it's because we're web devs, we're busy. Um, so, you know, it's time, it's time to pull out, pull up the, uh, pull out like the all the stops and actually deliver like a good website experience and that's what we were hoping to do with html the things and then like just i don't know just coronavirus like just to retouch on that like coronavirus is just you know a big thing it's a big problem for a lot of people it's deadly for a lot of people which isn't great um and it's just you know it's just a bad experience for everyone whether you're sick or not sick or whether you're affected or not affected everyone is directly or indirectly indirectly affected by it um, and so it's just, it's just, it's a hellish time, uh, just to be totally blunt and it's not good. Um, and so it's just, I don't know. It, it's just, it's just one of those things. Um, yeah, it, it, all of us were affected. It's, mm-hmm. it's not to be like, you know, I, I think it's important to say it. And I think it's important for everyone to kind of acknowledge that, you know, it, it's not something that you can just brush to the side and hope for the best. It is something that absolutely affects you and affects me and it affects the audience. So there's well, especially if you're a person who's had like a family member, you know, die from it or get really sick yeah. from it. Like that's really bad, obviously. Like, yeah. Um, and and like it it and I'll and I've mentioned this before to other people, but like and and, and off microphone, but everyone, whether they've admitted it or not, has been affected by it. I have friends that were normally like extroverts that became introverts, and introverts that tried to become extroverts. You know, just like seeing that flip in some people seeing people react to things differently, people having short tempers that normally were never short tempered, people who were not short tempered or were were short tempered before become more relaxed, stuff like that. Like I've seen big people were affected by this um, mental health wise, whatever. And that's just the way it is. And, and even myself, like I find myself double checking things like a million times. So like, I feel like I've like, I have like some sort of undiagnosed OCD just because I'm like scared of this thing. It's just like the pressure. I don't, I don't know. I haven't gone to a doctor or anything, but like, it's just like checking, double checking things and stuff like that. It's just driving me nuts. Um, but like, I just, this is a year, like 2020 was not a year of progress. Like I've said, um, and 2020 was not a year of progress and 2021, you know, where the coronavirus is still around, hopefully things are on the mend with the vaccination or whatever. And, um, hopefully we can get back to being a little bit more normal. Um, or a little bit more 2019 ish, I guess. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those things, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that this, this new year is, is good. Mike and I had like a really good heart to heart. I know you already mentioned it, but we, Mike and I had a really good, like sort of heart to heart or like colleague to colleague. It was like a professional heart to heart conversation of our goals professionally, but not from like a money making standpoint. And we did that in our before the show segment. So like, again, that's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things it's free for everyone. You can just go there. You'll see the post. And you can just listen to it. It'll be the uh, the one after the COVID Christmas shopping uh, before the show. You'll see it. So it's like a big, I put like a big banner on it. It's just an, under the Patreon post. But you, you should give that a listen. It's just us talking about our professional goals and what we had discussed and something that we noticed in our professional lives, having gone through the, the, the phases effectively of going from a small scrappy business to still being a small scrappy business, but one that actually has like a profit margin and actually has like 
hasn't makes enough money to pay taxes and stuff like that. So uh, stuff like that. So that that's just you, you should definitely give that a listen because it'll really get into the nitty gritty um, of it. And I mean, that's that's it for my hour year. I think yep. I, I would love to stream more. I'm looking at doing more of every like I, I'm doing audiograms. I'm the one that edits the show. I'm the one that does a lot. So like, I really hesitate to commit to do anything just because I also do client work. So it's a matter of sometimes I'm up to seven in the morning editing the show because the next day I have to do like a business meeting in the afternoon. So I don't want to say like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to stream every day and then I won't be there because of these business meetings keep cropping up. So I I just, it's just one of those things. One one good thing for this year, and it'll be probably starting next week is I did buy a new microphone. This microphone is getting old, starting to actually literally rust um, or tarnish, whatever. But it's uh, it's just starting to go. It's starting to whistle every now and then, strangely. So, I mean, it's nine, ten years old. Served me well. So hopefully I'll have uh, different, hopefully better audio quality uh, starting next week. Just waiting for it to ship. And that's uh, that's our year for me. Yeah, I think I think that's good. You can run up the old conclusion. Well, what about the weekly growth goal? Oh, here, yes, Mike? that's our, I'm um, sorry. Let's, come yeah, on Let's now. do the weekly growth goal. So for me, let's uh, – I think – one of the things that I want to do this year in general, this may, might not be a weekly one, this is kind of like one that'll appear out throughout the year, is I want to read more books related to uh, like business, related to motivation, related to um, just in general stuff that will help me become better at what I do, essentially. Because I've been reading, I, I do read quite a bit, uh, but usually it's just for personal pleasure and I still want to keep that a little bit, maybe before bed, but for the most part, I want to switch a lot of my reading to stuff that will push me forward. So if anyone will have as any good book recommendations, um, throw them out there and I'll definitely take a look right now. Uh, or what, you know what I was going to about to say to yeah. you and I was about to put you on the spot is you should choose a book if you have one in mind. And just choose like a chapter. Like your your weekly growth goal should be I'm gonna reach chapter three in book X. Yes. So I am reading a book right now. Um it's something I, I, I'm just Super fan? How to become No, it's not how to become a rocket engineer. It's something it's something to do with uh space. Wait, weren't you listening to Superfan or something? So or, I'm or listening that- to one. Like I'm doing a lot. I'm I'm listening to Superfan Jesus. by Pat Flynn, which shout out is actually a pretty good book. Pat Flynn knows what he's doing when it comes to business, passive income, stuff like that, which is exactly the realm that we're going into. So I'll be following up with probably a lot of the Pat Flynn books, especially on audio, because he records his own audio books. He's a he's been a podcaster for like over ten years now, so he knows how to do the whole audio production. So his audiobooks are great. Um, so I'll be continuing to listen to his audiobooks as well as his podcast. But I'm also reading, and maybe you can uh, you can do your weekly growth goal, and I'll come back and I'll I'll state the exact oh, yeah. book that I'm reading right now. So, <laughs> so my weekly growth goal is is the biggest is the biggest fail in the history of weekly growth goals because I'm I'm a fool and started the weekly growth goal segment on the week that I went on vacation. So I just didn't do it because I wasn't around. So my weekly growth goal, if you don't know from last episode, is uh, get a functional section of the hat website up and running, uh, but not necessarily live. Like it won't be public, but I- I'll be posting stuff like that, probably on uh, p- posting screenshots and stuff like that. Maybe even some progress shots, depending on how long it takes uh, on our, uh, on our social. So you know, keep an eye on that, probably Instagram, but maybe elsewhere as well. 
But um, yeah, uh, I'm just I, I realized like right I was like man I was I'm so excited for this gro- weekly growth goal thing because I can set these small goals and just you know force myself to finish them and slowly over the year I can reflect and be like man hell yeah like I finished a whole website or I finished a whole project and then the very first one like I I, I went on vacation and realized oh my god like I'm actually gonna fail my first <laughs> weekly growth goal. I mean I, so- I technically failed it too although I did do a little bit of work towards it. It's the my mine was the set up my Twitch streaming uh structure ah yes yes Yes. um but yes no i am actually going to i'm going to use i'm going to try to use hashtag weekly growth goal uh if you're in our discord uh we also have a weekly growth goal channel underneath the podcast uh section or category whatever it is uh go and discuss your weekly growth goal and let's try to make some goals together let's try to make some weekly small goals together so that we can work toward uh, bigger objectives that's kind of why i put mike on the spot about his book instead of just saying i want to read books of a business type i kind of want to do like more specific i'm going to read chapter three of this book you know something small attainable that isn't like even a whole book so i found my book uh think like a rocket scientist uh it's by ozon varl i have it on my kindle and i'm at about 11 percent of it so my weekly growth goal will be to reach 20 percent by the end of the week Oh, I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm actually going to type. You're going to hear me typing. Yeah. I'm going to put reach 20% of, uh, what's the book again? Think like a rocket How? scientist. Oh, think like a rocket scientist. Yes. And that's going to be, um, uh, on Kindle. Yes. And I'm going to, I really want to see if I can get, and this is just totally me spitballing randomly right now, but I really want to see if I can get some sort of bot on the Discord where people can actually put in their goal and the bot keeps you publicly in front of all of us accountable. What, what would you yeah, say? Like I want, I want to go in there and say like, I want to reach this goal and I want that bot to bug me during the week. I like that. But what would you think about actually making like a little web app website for this? Oh, something like that. Yeah. That'll work That'll too. That'll be like a good side project for us yeah i mean that'd be a cool little and thing that'll tie right into um, the show there you go I mean, weekly growth goal dot yeah, whatever exactly. and then weekly, <laughs> hat weekly growth goal or something like that and people can make their weekly growth goals and well we'll figure out some requirements and stuff for that but that that could be something we can make yeah it'd be something cool yeah. but um but yeah like whether whether it becomes a discord bot or a website or something i just really i really would love for the weekly growth goal to actually be something that we as a community can slowly chip away at our big goals and more importantly because they're small goals if it's something that you want to do but you feel as though you know how like some people will feel bad for doing fun things on vacation because they could be professionally developing themselves the weekly growth goal can be something fun it could literally be, I want to attempt to beat this video oh, game this my, well, Some of mine are going to be like that this year. I have it in my, like, what I want to accomplish this year. I have, like, beating games in there. <laughs> oh, so yeah. No, like, like, ser- like, seriously, you know, it, and, and, and I really want this to be, like, a, a fun and professional thing. And I really want you guys to c- c- come chime in. So, you know, uh, I haven't checked if the if the, the hashtag, hashtag weekly growth goal is available. Hopefully it is. But, um, you know, I'll uh, I'll be chatting about it on the Twitter and on the more than likely on the Instagram. Um, Mike and I just both post on the same Instagram, obviously, just to keep everything together. And uh, for the most part, at least for now. And so, yeah, I, I really hope you guys join us. And for now, check us out on that Discord. Uh, you guys can discuss your weekly growth goals. I'm going to post in there after the show some at some point. And um, let's let's get some goals happening, really. 
But uh, that really can, that concludes our episode. Now, uh, if you're looking, thinking, hey, where's where's the web news? Remember, the web news is uh, you know has been spun off. It's in the same feed, so don't worry about that. It's in the same RSS feed. It's just spun off into its own little, uh, and it's obviously labeled you know web news dash whatever or the title dash web news whatever. Um, so this week, little sneak peek uh, is going to be email detox. And as a very brief, brief, brief note about it, so the last time, and this is about me and my email detox, last time I was without my work email was in 2017 when I had no data connectivity or no reliable data connectivity when I was in Cuba. And as a result, you know, it's 2021 now, and I started going a little crazy. So we're going to talk about that this week. So um, make sure to uh, keep it keep it locked, if you will, uh, to this feed. And uh, if you're listening to this upon the release date, the web news will be released tomorrow now remember we're on that patreon that's patreon.com slash html all things so check out the tiers and give that a go and many thanks to our three dollar tier patron sean from rabbit works javascript via youtube.com slash rabbit works javascript garrick from local path computing and web design via localpathcomputing.com ryan gatchel from blue black digital via blue black digital.com Chris from the Chris from Self-Made Web Designer via selfmadewebdesigner.com, Tim from the Web Hacker via thewebhacker.com, DL Ford from dl4.io, and Bib Hashdash from 9block Media via 9blockmedia.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on, and I'm going to let this outro sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.